Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Good afternoon, good evening. If it's the middle of the night, then good middle of the night to you. Uh, my name's Owen. This is Cop On Podcast. I'm delighted that we're back. We're back. We haven't been so regular recently. Um, I've just moved into my new place. I've got my own office now and it's setting up. And after I've set up how this works with YouTube a bit better, I'm going to be much more frequent. So thank you for your patience. In the meantime, um, I've been making a, a couple of donations to a couple of uh, worthy causes on behalf of all of our listeners. Uh, so, you know, like to, for example, a homeless charity uh, today who help people over the Christmas period to give them food and, and things like that. So if you, if you enjoy Cop On Podcast, then I'm making a donation for you uh, on behalf of you. So you should feel all the snuggly goodness of giving to people just by listening. Thank you so much for listening. I'm delighted to be joined uh, by Nigel and by Mick. Uh, from the Copite podcast and by Dylan. Dylan James, we're going to start with you. Dylan is a uh, rock and roll star, perhaps the first rock and roll star uh, that we've had uh, on Cop On. Welcome. Uh, tell our listeners about your, your new single, please, Dylan, because it's del uh, we're delighted to have you with us. Uh, great, great entry. Thanks, Owen. Yeah. Um, so the track's called Boys Yard. It's um, kind of written about two two boys my two boys in in lockdown when we couldn't leave the house and it's basically recreating goals of being heroes in your backyard so you know i think they were trying to do the Firmino uh goal against spurs late on and then often smashing it into a pint-sized goal from 10 yards but the, the story is about you know recreating that 40 yard goal so yeah, it's kind of doing all right, and it's good timing with the World Cup. So no, wonderful stuff, wonderful stuff. It's a really good single. I've heard it as well. Do, do check it out, listeners. How 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 can they check it out, Dylan? Yeah, so artist name Dylan James, track Boys Yard. I mean, if you just search Dylan James Boys Yard, they get Spotify. There's lots of YouTube footage. There's a great video uh, done by a guy called Da Vinci. Um, so yeah, it's a streaming world now. So just share it, get the streams up um yeah hopefully it'll go global <laughs> yeah well let's hope so i hope so and you're you're um i mean your boys are big liverpool fans or and you're a big liverpool fan is that right yeah absolutely yeah i mean i'm i always watch the boys and, and my kids as i said to to nigel earlier on before we started recording my old man's an arsenal fan so i live in london so to try and you know have that little battle but i think i've won it now they're, they're both happy <laughs> supporters so. excellent stuff yes excellent very good there's a there's a famous scene in one of my one of my favorite japanese films called film called shogun's assassin don't know if you've seen it where he's got it's this shogun um in the time of the shoguns and um it's a it's a crazy story his his wife gets killed by the evil um, government army, I think it is. And so he decides to avenge his wife's death by killing them all, but he has a baby and he gives the baby the choice. If he crawls towards the ball, then his life will be saved and he will join his father on his mission. And if he crawls towards the sword, then he will have to die at his father's hand because uh, no, sorry, the other way around. I don't know. But anyway, your boys have made the right choice. It reminds me of that. 
Um, and yeah, yeah, um, I definitely have to get them to watch that film, and that seems a good way of um, you know getting to make good decisions in life. Oh, yeah, they have quite exactly, and for fathers to make the good decisions as well. Um, very good, thank you, Dylan. Excellent stuff, and uh, yeah, Nigel's Nigel's with us. How are you doing, Nigel? Is, is everything okay? What's going yep. on? Have, what have you been up to? You've been, I don't know, doing stuff. Yeah. We're doing a bit, few bits and pieces here and there. Yeah, my dad had his knee reconstruction there about a month and a half ago, well, nearly two months ago now. Yes. Uh, Is he okay? Yeah, he's not doing too bad. He's a little sore the last few days and stuff like that. But he's like he's eighty eight next month, so you know what I mean. It's 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 pretty old for knee reconstruction. Well, fair play to him. I'm glad that yeah, he's doing you know. okay. We just keep an eye on him and stuff like that. And, yeah. Well, all the best to him. All the I, best I, to I, him, Nigel. Have you been, uh, you know, you've been working, working hard. I don't know. What do you do when there's no Liverpool matches? I don't know. You're watching the World Cup. What's well, going on? Um, well, I, just, I, I found it very hard to watch the World Cup. I'm I'm not in tune with it at all. It's been a couple of couple of decent games, but the, 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 like that Argentina game last night, my God, it was horrendous. I, I didn't see it. Yeah, I haven't been I haven't been that into it, to be honest, but yeah. I see. I was in work all day yesterday. I worked a full day yesterday. I was in. I was in work at nine o'clock yesterday, and I did. I finished at nine o'clock last night. And right. uh, I like. I work in the bookies. Uh huh. So, um, the games were on yesterday, and the French, the France Denmark game was on, and that was actually a very good game. It's probably the I, best game I, of the tournament so far. I saw that one. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, absolutely. Kylian Mbappe. Blimey. Yeah, very good. Yeah, but yeah, then, yeah. Like the, the Argentina game was on after that, and it was just horrendous. Well, I, I heard my friend uh, David said that everyone was rolling around the place. Everyone was diving. Oh. Is that right? It was just kind of really broken up, and, and just nothing happening, and uh, all this passing sideways and stuff like that. Uh, it just it was it was just poor. It was just a poor game. Yeah, Haven't really okay. been like. And then back to our old friend, the officiating, which was just appalling. It has been appalling so far in the whole World Cup. I think again, a panel of a panel of VAR, and they like how can so many people be so wrong at the same time? It's it's, it's mad, yeah. Not since uh, I haven't seen that since the I don't know the Conservative Party yeah. conference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, mix with us as well. We're going to talk about the World Cup in in a bit because I for me it's just the saddest shittest World Cup uh, that I remember. But um, whatever, I mean, you know, that I remember. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll we'll moan about that in a bit. But Mick, I'm delighted to have Mick Moran with us. For, Mick, is it sorry? Is it Moran or Moran? I'm so sorry for the Irish pronunciation, or is it the Scouse pronunciation? How does it go? Moran, yeah, Moran, yeah. It's, okay. it's, it's more Moran in, in uh, Ireland, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it depends yeah, who's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so there you go. So Mick Moran, delighted to with uh, to, that you're with us from the Copite podcast. How's it going? How's the Copite? How are you? Everything's all right. Yeah, sounds. Um, yeah, just the World Cup. Just been on on in the background, but not really similar to Nigel. Just not really, not really paying attention unless. Unless it's someone of note on the field, like if France are playing, Canate's playing, if it's Uruguay, watching Nunes, just like stuff like that. Um, yeah, podcasts going um, quite well. We haven't done one for a week or so, just because like um, not been much to talk about. But I met Dylan last week and we had a little chat about the the single, and it was like I said to Dylan, it was in my head for about two days in a row, like I just on repeat, just couldn't get it out of my head. It was yeah, just it's great. Yeah, it's uh, a great one, isn't it? Yeah, it's super. It's um, but yeah, I'm gonna start doing a few more pods doing pods soon. Um, right. We started doing a new show called like Player Profiles, where we just kind of pick a player at random, um, obviously a good player, and just kind of look back on their career so we've done Gerard, we've done Suarez we're probably going to do Torres and Fowler next and then just kind of work our way through 
the list. Um, <clears throat> maybe put a little poll on Twitter and just see what the uh, who, what gets the highest um, results. And yeah, great. Yeah, sounds brilliant. Excellent stuff. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna you know talk about the World Cup in a bit, but uh, let's start with Liverpool because there have been some things happening. Um, you know, Dylan, of course, the we you know we're either up for sale or they want um, you know investors coming in. Um, oh, uh, I mean, Kevin Palmer, the real Kevin Palmer at real Kevin Palmer on Twitter, he said, interesting news coming out of Liverpool. FSG have accepted that their transfer model of trying to break even each summer can no longer be successful. That's why they have decided to sell. And I don't know if they're trying to sell. Um, I'm I'm a little bit worried, Dylan, because if we sell to immoral people, and by that I mean governments, for example, the Saudi government, that let's be very clear about it, they executed 81 people uh, in March. Uh, you know, it's it's absolutely horrific what what goes on there, and then that's not even to mention other people's rights, like LGBTQ plus rights, women's rights. You know, in no particular order, all of those things are, are extremely serious, and it's something that Liverpool fans take very seriously. I would I would say on the whole. Um, so I think if we sold our club to people who don't respect humans then Klopp will walk. I'm pretty sure of that. And if Klopp walks, will Liverpool rapidly crumble like a mix of flour, butter and sugar in the hands of my auntie Cynthia? That's my question to you, Dylan. I love your questions. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, um, you're right. I mean, Liverpool's such a sort of, got so much history in the club, you know, all the European titles, all the kind of, the whole city, everything about it. You know, you want to make sure that it still has that, respect and it is a global brand at the end of the day um and i think you're right Klopp. <clears throat> we don't want him walking he's an incredible manager i know people talk about the seven year thing with Klopp and all the rest of it but i think you know he's 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 a scouser isn't he? he's a german scouser let's face it and, he, and he's now sort of one of us really um yeah i think they have to be really careful i was asked this question on talk sport actually 30 seconds before i went on and the sale was up there so it was quite a tricky question to answer and you know whilst i'm a football fan do I know everything about the ins and outs of, of the finances of a club? No. Um, but I think it's about making sure we want to do, we want to compete, but we need the money. You know, we, it's, it's quite obvious this year with the squad, the way it is, it's kind of quite bare thin, a few injuries and we just can't compete. Our, our squad's aging, sort of break even model, I don't think does work. Obviously you look at Man City, you look at Newcastle, you look at other clubs, you know, rolling out money to try and compete then we are going to struggle but yeah i do think we do need some ethical um owner really um and i think uh, i don't want to comment too much on on the way that sort of countries run it but i think you've got to be really careful of having the right owners because it will be a brand bomb really and it won't be good for the for the club and, and the fans really well, that's it. I mean, you know, I mean, in terms of the money, yeah, of course, I'm not, I'm no expert either. But there is, you know, the uh, opinion that Abdul from Watch LFC was talking about in our last episode that that football is is as a whole is is dramatically undervalued, and that, and we're not making enough money compared to the the potential that's there in football clubs. But I wonder, I wonder, Nigel, how important it is for you when you've got the, you know. Uh, 
the new owner coming in, the kind of owner that we get next, is it important to you personally? Absolutely. Um, like we talk about, uh, like we've had been talking about Manchester City fans, um, owners there for years, and they kind of their um, you can hear the the, the attendance is coming out of the World Cup, like forty five thousand at a game where the the stadium capacity is forty thousand, and that's happened three or four times and five or six times, whatever. Um, like, is it going to like? It's just going. It's even hard to talk about. Are we going to be stuck with owners like that? And is it going to be worth it to the fans? Do we want to go watch our team being uh, being backed by somebody with no ethics, no morals, um, owners who don't care about, um, like you said, the LGBTQ community or, or women in general or anybody? Um, you know, it's it's going to be. That'll be tough to take. It will be, won't it? Like it'll be very hard to to sort of square it with 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 our conscience. I mean, that's that's something that we've been, you know, in a way fortunate, I suppose, because these things are out of our control. But we've we've been fortunate enough to be able to point the finger in the past few years at Man City and say, well, you know, and rightly, all of your success is tainted, right? You know, it's tainted their their man, um, sorry, their owner and. Their owner's brother, I think, was uh, what there was a video of some kind of torture that he did, uh, you know, on one of his uh, one of his enemies. And it's like, man, that's proper primitive. Like it's it's really like, oh, disgusting, despicable. So so yes, I mean, every, there is an asterisk behind all of Man City's success that even some of their own fans admit. You know, not all of them, because you know, some of them are idiotic as you know Liam Gallagher for example but you know um you know it's um I don't know it's all very complex um what 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 importance do owners have compared to a manager though Mick like you know what's more important that we keep Jurgen Klopp and we you know we get someone you know like someone incompetent like uh, let's say for example Mike Ashley let's let's go extreme here if we get you know if Mike Ashley I mean (laughs) <laughs> decides to buy Liverpool and spends, you know, seven million a year or whatever, and Klopp for some reason decides to stay. It that's more important than getting, uh, for example, the Glazers who spend a shed load of money, but then give control of the club to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for a few years. I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Uh, I think a switched on Liverpool fan would like. We, I think we're all re- reading from the same hymn. She said we don't want owners. Ideally, and I and I get like people's point, like that. Most people that are in the, these positions, there's probably a degree of that money that has been used in some way that isn't ethical. So I get I get that point of view. But the point we're making is like the values of Liverpool as a city. Like when Chelsea got um, bought by Abramovich, we were kind of saying the same thing to the Chelsea fans that we are to the City fans right now. That you've had an influx of wealth. That's why you've um, you've won all those titles, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, they brought in great managers like Mourinho and stuff. But um, yeah, I just think if you if you spend too much time on Twitter and you, and you ask them this question, they'd say, well, what, fuck it. Um, just get any, any owner in. Any owner, doesn't matter. As long as Klopp stays and we win loads of titles and whatever, then fine. You have to fight fire with fire. And then there's the, what we're saying is you need to, I believe that we need to have some, <laughs> modicum of hope that something will happen that is in the best interest of us like I know that'll come and that'll at least be because I know like Christian the lad that I do the podcast with he always says that there's like degrees in hell there's different degrees and you've got to try and make sure that that's closest 
to what Liverpool are as a, as a city and how hard that will be. It will be probably very hard to do. Um, but I think we need to... I mean, if someone comes in who's completely unethical and we like, like you guys well mentioned, all, all the stuff that goes on with these um, type of ownerships... Um, then I, I don't think it'll stand with, with Klopp, and then that's the, that's the point what might come where if something like that happens, does Klopp Klopp will probably leave because it doesn't align with what what he wants because he's spoken, he's been quite outspoken on those type of regimes and stuff. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a difficult a difficult sale, I think. But from FSG's point of view, I just don't think they're gonna be bothered. I don't think they're gonna be bothered who they're selling to. They're gonna be like, you got three and a half billion, yeah, yeah, go on, mate, give us the money, off you go, bye bye. Here's the here's the here's the keys. We're off. Um, so it can get very it could get very murky. I think, but uh, I don't know. Like all the other stuff we're going to talk about, like um, Ward and, and Graham leaving and stuff. Like there's a bit of unrest as well. Like in terms of what's going on with the staff issues and is Klopp taking more of a bigger hand in in certain stuff and people are nervous about that because like I think Graham's been here for like um 10 years I think and he's like kind of built himself up into a point where he's the best in the business so I get like the unrest um but I just try not to get I try not to get too involved like personally because I just feel like you spend like I do spend too much time on Twitter like I say to anyone if you spend too much time on Twitter you can go insane but I, I do to be fair and the stuff that you see is just like it's craziness like people just want success they want it yesterday and i get that point of view but there's ways and means that you go about it and i think that's hopefully we'll do it in the best way possible fingers crossed yeah very interesting didn't you wanted to come in on something yeah so i was just i, I look at the end of the day the dream but we're talking about money now which is crazy you know you think we're all about 20 30 years ago i mean the money in football now players wages just the transfer fees there's only a certain amount of people in or sort of consortiums in this kind of world that will be able to afford Liverpool. And, you know, the, the old owners are not going to stick it on the market for, for a small amount of money. And I think there's probably, I don't know, probably only 10 or so, maybe more. And are they all going to be ethical? And as you say, that degree of, <laughs> you know, getting close to, and there's always going to be some sort of corruptness, I think, personally, with that kind of money. When you get to that level and that kind of organisation, you're going to have some issues. So it's, it's going to be a tough one, I think, to make your point, Owen, in terms of making sure that, everything's run with all these ethics I, I personally think that's going to be impossible um yeah no it's very interesting but i think i, I think there are there are levels there are nuances and there are yeah. things it's like you know like for example i don't know like it's easy to point the finger and call someone like a hypocrite because i think many people are uh including myself in certain ways because you know like uh, for example i'm against animal cruelty but I eat meat. There's a big hypocrisy there. It's a paradox, right? And maybe, you know, like, um, I need to look at that and I need to change that. You know, and there are things I could be to become a more moral human. But there are different levels of, of morality. It's not to say that just because I'm a hypocrite and I admit I am in that regard, um, I'm I, like, it doesn't mean that I have to disregard the rest of my moral compass because I've been proved as a hypocrite. You know what I mean? Like, just because there is a paradox in, like, wanting an ethical owner and it being very unlikely that, that someone with that amount of money is ethical, it doesn't mean that we can't try, basically. <laughs> you know, it's... No, uh, I uh, fans because of the passion and, you know, I think which has gone on in the Liverpool Football Club, I think they are the one club which will speak up. You know, some, you know, Man City probably 
slightly newer money um I, I think maybe maybe won't and I, I don't even think to be honest you may United do after the time i think they sort of just get on with it but i think liverpool just has that that city you know that foundation where it's it's very loyal uh, and the fans are very loyal so I, I if it went really bad in terms of really bad owner i love your your, your sort of kind of comparison to mike ashley i mean christ like all those poor newcastle fans have to put up with <laughs> you know they're probably even regarding the ethics they're, they're looking at some money coming in and they're probably delighted just from the fact they have that pain of not being able to spend the money so yeah i think yeah. it is going to be what it is i mean hopefully they'll make a, a decision which which will help us but you know we, we do need some money as well we do and then speak speaking of the money because we do need we do need it i, I made some calculations this morning because because in the last episode of cop on we talked about an article from football365.com which compared uh, all of the clubs in the premier league their net spend but they did it from 2018 from the time when we uh signed allison and van dyke um, but they didn't do it from the transfer window before when we had sold Felipe Coutinho. So that went down as a huge outlay, whereas in reality, we made a profit of 14 million. Uh, but um, so I've I've readjusted football365.com's numbers and I've taken the net spend for the entire Premier League from the summer of 2019. So cast your minds back to wherever you were when Jordan Brian Henderson gave us the Hendo Shuffle. I think that was the first time we saw the Hendo Shuffle. And he lifted the European Cup. It was absolutely iconic. It was absolutely brilliant. And But since that day, right, net spend, <laughs> Liverpool have are uh, basically 14th in the whole Premier League, um, having sp spent net. Uh, in the sort of whatever there are five six seven transfer windows we've had since since 2019 i can't since the beginning of summer 2019 we've spent 89.82 million net spent and if you think about all the revenue we generated because since then of course there was covid and that had a big impact but we've won the premier league uh you know attendances don't make too much of a difference to the accounts compared to you know, advertising and all these other revenue that streams of revenue that football clubs have. So we've only spent 89.82 million. Um, and I'll just to give you the the numbers. So at the moment in the in the Premier League, we're, we're sixth. OK, so there are there are five teams ahead of us. Um, Manchester United, they top the table for the amount of net spend money. This is net. They've spent 498.86 million. So that's 409 million more than us since 2019, which is like like the stars in the sky. It's a it's a number that we cannot fathom with our puny human brains. Um uh, and next on the list is Arsenal, 375.37 million. Next on the list is Spurs, 326.63 million. Next on the list is Newcastle, 306.17 million. So those four um, spent over 300 million compared to our 89. And the only other team ahead of us in the, in the Premier League as it stands at the moment is Manchester City. And they've spent 194.91 million. And you think, oh, well, frugal Man City. Perhaps they're not 
uh, spending as much as we think they are. But if you put that into context, the five years before, um, you know, they, they, they'd spent about 400, 500 million net spend. So, you know, like it's not it's not as if they're they've their frugalness has been, uh, you know, for a long time um anyway uh so yeah okay i don't know if any of that makes sense hopefully it does um but basically all the teams above us have spent at least 105 million more in the last three years so 105 million let's break that down if you if you're being being frugal as frugal as manchester city only 105 million more net what does that mean that means three 19 uh, 330 million players uh and then you've got uh about 15 million left over so you can buy two costas semikases or whatever however much he costs so potentially five very decent players for that amount of money and if you're going to go wild and splash the cash and throw it out the window and piss on it as it flies down uh in through the air to the ground uh like manchester united then you know imagine what klopp could have done with 400 million so the money nigel that was a very long breakdown of 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 what's going on um but basically around our figure of 89.82 million we've got we're you know fulham have spent more than us leeds have spent more than us southampton everton nottingham forest wolves all of these clubs have no chance of winning the premier league is it true nigel we need to spend a lot more to be competitive is that true for you um not to an extent i think the recruitment if you look at the, the, the five teams you mentioned above us four of them have won bugger all absolutely nothing newcastle Spurs, arsenal and united yes yeah. I think recruitment, the way Klopp did it the last time or the last few times, is more key than what we're actually spending. I know I lash out two hundred million on the flavor of the week. Um, like we uh, we've seen enough of that. Do you remember after a World Cup, we turned down a chance to buy a proven Premier League striker and bought the flavor of the month at the World Cup, who turned out to be the biggest asshole in the history of the club. El Hadjouf instead of buying and instead of taking Nicholas and Elka on a full deal when he was on loan and scored six goals for us. But um, I think. Klopp, like Klopp knows what he's doing. The recruitment crowd that were there under the current regime sold Coutinho, bought Alisson, bought Fabinho, bought Mo, bought Sadio, like, and have continued to buy decent players. I think the recruitment is key. Now, we'll have to spend money because it's coming to a point, you were saying, the 2018, end of 2018, when we sold Coutinho and bought these players. But Mo, Bobby, Jordan Henderson, Virgil are all approaching 30 or over 30. That's got to be addressed. It's got to be a turnover. It's got to be look looking at replacing what's there so we can turn them over when we need to and not have to be going and rushing around looking at players. Like, we bought Diaz, we bought Jota, and like we bought Nunes, and these are there in place but we've got to address the midfield that's it but as far as lashing out these millions and millions and millions on players like manchester city have bought some utter crap they bought some really good players but they have bought some utter crap as well and they bought a lot more utter crap than we've bought well they have and that's it and, that, and that's the thing and and mick i, I want to put this question to you because it's something that that I think about. I don't know. It keeps me it keeps me awake at night. You know, uh, sometimes like uh, what happened to Zelko Buvac keeps me awake at night. I hope he's okay. Um, but uh, Jude Bellingham, for example, talk about flavor of the month. Okay, Bellingham is a great player. He's not just he's had one World Cup. He's he's proved it over the past few years that people have been talking about him for years. Unbelievable! What a player! What talent! Unbelievable! Uh, let's say, for example, he costs 150 million. 
I wouldn't I wouldn't pay it. No player is worth that in my mind. I would I would I would buy three 50 million pound midfielders and the likelihood of of two of them being good is high. Maybe three of them being good is high if you look at if you crunch the numbers enough. So you know someone like um I was impressed you know I'm not going to buy anyone off the of their performances in the World Cup but I was impressed by Musa from the United States for example in midfield I thought he's a great profile for us he would cost about 50 million Bellingham he in many ways he overshadowed Bellingham in that match but anyway Mick what would you do with this money if we had it <laughs> yeah it's interesting like the numbers like uh so United have spent 400 million like just think what Klopp could have done with eight 50 million signings. Yeah. Like eight players worth 50 million. That would literally would yeah. be like, it'd just be a, a team of machines, wouldn't it? Um, but yeah, I agree with Nigel's point. Like, we haven't, when you, when you look through like the Klopp signings, like the hit rate is exceptional. Like, don't usually sign any shite, thankfully. But that goes into, like what I was saying before, like the um, Graham leaving after 10 years, that like uh, Ward leaving, there's a bit of who's going to come in next. So, is Klopp going to take a, a a bigger chunk of um, selecting these players? I know he selects them anyway, but obviously there's a it's more of like a committee type thing where the the, num- the numbers are crunched and it's very statistical and um, you know all, all the xg, how many yards run, ran in a certain area of the pitch, heat maps and all that shit. Um, so I don't know. I think it's going to like you said, Bellingham is like he's just a generational talent, isn't he? I think like I agree, 150 million for one player is mental. Like the, the prices that I'm getting touted, even for Declan Rice, like saying he's 100 million, it's like what? Like just because they're English, like this premiums just absolutely ludicrous. Um, but yeah, I agree with I agree with Nigel. To be fair, like I'd rather and you as well, Owen. Like I'd rather I'd rather probably buy a few players. Like there's like Caicedo that. Um, Looks like a really talented player. There's some players there that fit a certain um, profile, and and I think we can. I think you just got to look at it like the way we buy players. We buy them when and um, when we sign them. There's like a kind of like, oh, what? this is a bit of a risk. Like we bought Mane, we bought Salah. You could probably all the players we've signed that have turned into really top quality players. We've signed them, and you're like Andy Robertson from Hull, for eight million. What's going on? What's all that about? Like, like it wasn't like the top of everyone's list. And then they turned into these um, stars, and and they're just so, we're so good at getting these players right at the sweet spot just before the the elevate into into the higher echelons of um, of being a top player, and that's that's under Klopp, and that's under the current regime. So I'd have no qualms about Liverpool doing that consistently. Like we said, the hit rate's phenomenal. So if we can continue that, get people in of the same statistical nature to replace the likes of Graham and and, and Ward who are leaving. Um, then I think we can continue to flourish, but I do think we need to invest. Like, <clears throat> like you said, Nigel, like the the midfield is like Henderson is probably going to have to take more of a, a squad role. Milner's going to retire. Oxley Chamberlain's a goner. So is Naby Keita. We've got a lot of players there that, ideally, when you look back in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. But ideally, we maybe should have brought in like one over the last couple of years just to kind of embed them and then get them ready for this moment where. Obviously, you couldn't envisage Naby Keita would go on to do what he's done and not not, not hit the heights and Oxley Chamberlain with the injuries and stuff. But if we would have had some some maybe younger players in that could have been waiting in the wings, and then when this moment comes, Oxley Chamberlain and Keita leave, you go right. Well, we've got X, Y, and Z to come in, and they're younger by five years, the twenty three, twenty four, etc. So um, I fancy us to do to do that again. 
uh, it's just trying to identify the right player. But I wouldn't trust anyone else to identify the right player than the than the current setup we've got. So should be sound, hopefully. <laughs> well, as long as they don't all leave. Are you, are you yeah, worried yeah, about exactly. them leaving? Oh, yeah. You know that you know the exodus, the mini exodus. I don't know if. Uh, so I don't know, maybe Pep Linders has, has switched deodorant and they're all running away. So he uses Lynx Africa and it's, it's, it, oh, it's disgusting, all that stuff, in my opinion. But there you go. Um, so they're all running away. Are you worried about it, Nick? Uh, I suppose it's unsettling, like I said, like because there's people like Graham has been in the role for 10 years and built himself up to the point where he's one of the best. And now he's leaving and then Ward's leaving. And you're like, oh. Like, I get the unrest why like people are kind of thinking oh it's a bit of a a bit of a change I think the owners saying they want to sell and then the the stuff that's come out after that you can can't people are well the thing is like when you speak to people as I mentioned people on Twitter again like you can add two and add two and two and get like 30 like they just go well it must be because this is happening and Klopp mustn't be happy so we sack them and he's they're probably going to resign so he's get and they're just like making stuff up and you're like you've got no idea none of us have got no idea what's going on all we can do is have a chat about it discuss what might have happened but ultimately we can't do anything about it we've just got to trust the people that are in power to do the right thing and if as long as you said like oh and if, if Klopp stays then the right thing will be done I really like we, we should all like believe that because we know the type of man he is uh, like Dylan mentioned like he's embedded himself in this city he's took the morals and like everything on board and really just like pushed himself into a point of like where you get people like other other clubs just saying, "Oh, like, would imagine Klopp like in power as like an MP or whatever." It's like that shouldn't like really be talked about, like because the state of like MPs and stuff, like that, that you're now saying that because they are so shit, you want to man, you want a manager to like start getting into politics just because he talks a bit of sense because all the MPs don't. Um, but that's just the crazy world uh, we live in, unfortunately. But yeah, it's. I think it's gonna. It's gonna. I think this summer's gonna be a massive one. I think if, if, like you said, the exodus. If the exodus doesn't continue and we keep certain people in in the in the in the correct role to the road at the end, then I imagine we'll do the right thing. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, there's loads of loads of places. You know, things we can do. Um, ways to to develop the conversation from from here on in. But I just want to give my opinion about. You know, I was listening to Neil Jones being interviewed on the Red Men TV. A really interesting interview. Do, do check it out, listeners, if 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 you can, if you want to, if you're interested. And Neil Jones talked about pieces on uh, of Jenga. And you know, if you if you remove the the wrong piece, the whole thing tumbles down. But the way I would see it is more like because Jenga, all the blocks are equal. But in a football club, it's not the same. For me, it's almost like a human body, Dylan. Uh, because, you know, if, for example, Julian Ward is an analyst, we don't know, as Mick said, we don't know what he's really like. Maybe, maybe he's rubbish at his job. We don't know. Maybe he had nothing to do with Darwin Nunez. And it was actually Caroline in the canteen who was showing Jürgen, you know, on her iPad, clips of this young Uruguayan guy. Go, You've got to get in, Jürgen. We don't know. We haven't the foggiest from the outside. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's more like a human body. So, so maybe it's like getting your hair cut to lose a technical a a analyst and you get, a new, you get new hair. Whereas, you know, Jurgen Klopp leaving the team would be like, boom, you're, you're, you know, someone's a vampire's come in the night and ripped out your heart. Um, I don't know. Um, where do you think we can go? Dylan with this because you know what would you do because I think we're 
behind in our recruitment. Mick said that we haven't recruited enough, probably younger players. And as I mentioned in, in previous uh, pre previous episodes of Cop On, when I looked at the age of our squad, we've got two midfielders between 23 and 27. One of them's Navi Keita and the other one's Arthur Mello. And there's this huge gap. So what would you do, Dylan? Would, is, is that where you would go to, to sort of, you know, to fix our current malaise? Is, recruit these midfielders within that age bracket yeah i think the midfield if you keep klopp and his his, his pressing game is massive isn't it when he first came in he had a lot i know also sadio mani i think we mentioned that last time i spoke to you mick you know he sort of embellished that from the front you know the pressing game and you can't do that pressing without that sort of age group and that fitness and you know when you look at tiago hendo you know that sort of age bracket van dyke i mean he's definitely not the same player after that injury uh, and he's getting older as well and you just we just need that energy i think Klopp, with that money and i, I agree spending 150 million on, on someone like bellingham is is a risk you know because if he plays great but he could get injured and then you're left without your three as you said the 350 mils and you might have two of them which do well but I also think there, there has to be an element of not spending the money. Because you think about the money they spent, I know it's a good net spend, Owen, but the money they spent with Van Dijk, Mane, Diaz, yeah, obviously Nunes this year, but they've been quite light for a few years in terms of what they did probably before. And there's got to be some thoughts on what they were doing in the summer in the club, I think, in terms of perhaps holding back a little bit. Um, but if a new owner comes in, then they're going to want to keep Klopp because, you know, to have that exodus, you know, so there's going to have to be a bit of an element. I don't think it's just like we're going to buy the club, we'll choose our manager. I kind of get that to some extent, but to go and bring someone in with a new team, the philosophy, the culture, that's been up, that's been sort of embedded into Liverpool for a good few years now. So I think a new owner will want to back that. Um, I'd be surprised. I mean, that's just the way I do sit if I had that kind of money. <laughs> it would be suicide, anything else, if you were to come in as a new owner and, and, and immediately try and, you know, I don't know, who you're going to bring in? Uh, I don't know. Sean Dyche, you prefer <laughs> prefer defensive football? I don't know. I think yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. But but quickly on on recruitment, Jurgen Klopp, he's 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 um he's bought in his entire career two hundred and sixty two players at an average of nine point seven million euros for each player according to transfer markets. Whereas Pep Guardiola in his career has. Uh, purchased 120 players with an average per player of 29 million average. So you know, like like Nigel was saying, I was, uh, it's the value that I'm interested in. Yes, Jurgen's a genius, Dylan, but we need to keep going with the idea of value. It's definitely better to buy more players for cheaper. You can get Moses Caicedo for 70 million. You could even get his midfield partner, Alexis McAllister, for about 50. And you've got 30 million left to buy one more midfielder from anywhere in the world. Maybe this Musa guy from, from the USA. You spent 150 million. You've got three excellent players. It's better than one generational talent. I think if you've got a squad which has those players in there, like a Man City, then they can go and afford to go and buy their rock star. But when you're in kind of position we're in with with you know really lack of depth and you, you can't be in a situation to go and blow your budget on one player we need three four five probably midfielders do you know what i mean at the moment with that age age but you can't rely on Har harvey elliott and that sort of you know player to go and you know be 
they're obviously going to be the future, but it's going to take them a good few years, I think, to get to that 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 kind of what not the peak age when they really start playing well. So, yeah, I think they need to go and we have to do it. And I think they should have done it this year, but I reckon there was a question mark on possibly the sale, not rolling out the money because we bought Nunes, but you know we didn't spend anything else. And there was a time then when you think Klopp must have had his targets. He's not stupid; he'd been looking at that. And there would have been a time to go and roll a bit of the bank. You know, at that at that sort of transfer window, and I think because of that sales probably going on behind the scenes, didn't want to spend the money, wanted to get it. They're all their figures correct. I reckon they didn't. They thought sod it. Um, and it is going to be this season. Now we have to. We got to accept that we're going to struggle. You know, because of the lack of depth. You know, you can't. You, Klopp, Klopp can only do so much. You can't work miracles with a aging squad, injuries. You know, no other team. I mean, no other team in the world could could perform probably what he's going to be performing the next six nine months he'll get there but we're gonna we're gonna struggle this season i think yeah i mean i've uh i don't know i wrote this season off a long time ago but yeah we got it it's a really good answer we've got, we got to try and fix this we need numbers i totally totally agree um all right for the last few minutes i want to talk about um uh the world cup uh i want to just make something really clear because not enough fan channels for me have are actually focusing on or remembering um you know like the sadness that hangs like a cloud over this world cup for me and that's that you know so many people have died in order to you know to build the stadiums just for a freaking football competition it's number one insane and two absolutely tragic for these people and their families and things um you know there was an interesting article called uh you know the headline of world cup 2022 the difficulty with estimating the number of deaths on qatar's construction sites which is a very interesting article published in le monde on november the 15th so 12 days ago as we're recording this um and it's it, to quote that it's it, it, it's talking about the guardian's investigation which was published in february 2021 uh, focused on which focused on non-Qatari residents who had died in the country. All of them, not necessarily in construction sites to to do with the World Cup, um, and using death records produced by either embassies or government departments of five countries with large numbers of uh, expats uh, in Qatar, being India, Bangladesh, Nepal, Sri Lanka, and Pakistan. Uh, the newspaper counted 6,771 confirmed deaths of workers during this 10-year period, okay, over 10 years, noting that this number may have been significantly underestimated as it did not include nationals of other countries, such as the Philippines or Kenya, etc., who were also numerous in Qatar. So, Deaths during the last months of 2020 and 21 were also not included in this article by The Guardian. So, you know, it's difficult to know. Um, but for example, 70% um, of the causes of death cited for Indian, Nepalese and Bangladeshi workers are natural causes, despite the fact that most of these are between 20 and 50 years old. And I don't know how many people die naturally, um, it seems like a lot to me. But the problem is we're, we're relying on, 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 on official statistics and official governments. I believe that the Qatari um, uh, official line on this is that maybe one worker died or three, I can't remember, died, you know, in building these, these stadiums. 
and then it gets very complicated right it, but the international trade union confederation which is not affiliated with any particular government they estimate that 4000 um workers have died construction workers have died in this uh, ngos who are there on the ground they don't know the actual figure either nobody knows because a lot of the reasons why these these uh, deaths are, are attributed to natural causes is because there's no autopsy done so they don't know like you know it's it's a fishy nobody knows because nobody cares enough to actually give these people the respect of finding out why they died or these people's families the respect of that so it's very 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 sad and i think there is a sickness in the minds of people who justify this horror so for example i listened to a bbc witness history podcast um the other day when they were interviewing um the architect who designed the burj khalifa um of course which is which is not in qatar as in the uae but it's um it's he was saying he actually said and i can't quote him directly but words to the effect of well i think it's not cruel at all to use you know migrant workers from countries like india because if you are like he he said if you're like me then you have seen these people in india who are completely homeless and they they go around you know empty lots and 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 they pick up pieces of glass so that they can sell the glass that they pick up from the streets to get $1 per day in order to survive. So if you take a person in this situation and you make him, you give him a job and you make him, you give him housing, shelter and a, a salary with which he can feed himself and maybe his family as well, even though it's not a very big salary, you're actually improving their quality of life. I think that's the biggest, sickest argument that you can possibly make because you know just because you maybe you've elevated someone out of extreme poverty to have more of an income it doesn't mean they're less of a human and they don't deserve human rights such as not to be worked to death you know it's it's utterly mind-blowing the sickness of of this and so on top of all of that stuff and forgive me for ranting with all this depressing stuff but it's i think it's important to underline it to talk about it to open conversations about it so on top of all of that the carbon footprint is extremely high um for this tournament lgbtq plus rights do not exist as we mentioned before um, you know, women's rights are very, you know, it's very, very dubious there. And Qatar, pretty obviously, it seems, bought the votes to host the tournament back in 2010. So, Nigel, apart from the human rights violations or, you know, destructions or the, the non-existence of human rights, the environmental and fair play catastrophe unf unfolding before your eyes, have you been enjoying the World Cup, Nigel? <laughs> No, not especially. <laughs> and I'd just like to know when the Guardian journalists who wrote that article died. Well, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, who knows? There might you know, be some kind of target. I'm sure I'm sure the Qatari people, the, 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 some of the Qatari governments wouldn't exactly be pleased with some of the, the stuff written about them. Um, no, it hasn't been a great World Cup. There was a really, the game yesterday, like I said earlier, was very good. France and Denmark, that was a good game. The Argentina game was absolutely diabolical. I said it to a friend of mine last night. I hope Argentina lose and put them out of our misery because they were really bad. Um, they're just they're, they're poor side. Um, hoping to be saved by Messi. Um, we've seen in another conversation with my manager in work yesterday, 
uh, we've seen a lot of um, the great players, so to speak, at a bit of a lesser level. Like we've got like 30, whatever age Messi is, whatever he is, 35, 36, whatever he is. We've seen Ronaldo diving for a penalty that was never in a million years. And Qatar guy going down for the same penalty and not getting it. Um, the, these things go not going to VAR properly. That's really, really, really annoying to me. Um, like the that the Portuguese penalty not going to proper VAR, not going on the screen, not showing any proper contact, and then other penalties been taken or other red cards. Look how many times I looked at the red card the other day for Wayne Hennessy, which I actually thought was a straight off red card. I said it when it happened straight off. He he came out and cleaned the guy out of it with a high knee. And it was a blatant red card. I thought it should have been another red card last night in the Denmark game. I thought the guy grabbed Kylian Mbappe, wasn't looked at, wasn't looked at properly. I thought he should have been sent off as well. Probably better off that he wasn't in the end, but it was a red card for me. Um, we'll always try and go back to these things because the players are trying to play these football matches and these guys, these, these oh, these guys are just ruining it with their officiating, be it on the field, on the sideline or in the VAR room. They also said it before, how rugby can get it most of the time right using their VARs and talking to officials, it's it's incredible and they just wouldn't follow the same uh, pattern and use that. No, they had to do their own thing and completely I don't watch anything like as much football as I used to. I used to watch an awful lot of games. And now I pretty much just watch Liverpool and nothing else because they've ruined it. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Wow, interesting. Yeah, the officiating is that bad. It's ruined your enjoyment. I get it. I get it. I watched, uh, you know, for my sins, because I'm a Wales rugby fan. I watched Wales rugby against Australia. And there'll be lots of listeners who are not rugby fans. But it was it was an absolutely tragic performance by Wales who were winning by an extraordinary amount and then managed to throw it all away in the last 20 minutes and one of the reasons was um that we had a player uh yellow carded which means in rugby you you you're off the pitch for 10 minutes which is it which is a huge penalty for your team it's very serious if you get a yellow card in rugby and the reason it was awarded was because the referee didn't see it um but one of Wales's players used his foot to trip up uh, another player as he was going through uh, to score a try. So, I mean, you, you can't do that in rugby. It's an automatic yellow card. It's a very um, easy thing for a referee to miss because rugby, like football, goes at a million miles an hour when it's played at the top level. And, you know, it's really easy to miss things. So in rugby, all they do with they, the VAR, they call it TMO in, in, in rugby, all they do is what they should do in football is... They use the video footage to see if the referee has missed anything, because what you can see on camera is what the referee might have missed. So they use it in the most logical way and they can talk to the referee and they can say, ah, we need to go back there because there was a yellow card for the Welsh player. And as a Wales fan, I think great, because that was the right decision. And the way that football is utterly incompetent um, or corrupt because maybe they want to, I don't know if you're a conspiracy theorist, uh, you know, um, they want to maintain the idea that referees can be influenced by, you know, certain backhanders or whatever. Maybe you're a conspiracist like that, but I, I just think they're incompetent fools. Mick, have, has, the, has the officiating ruined your enjoyment of the world cup have you been enjoying it or is it all tinged with sadness or what's going on with you yeah when you were like listing all that horrendous stuff i was just it was just like a, um in my mind i was just thinking the life of brian where it's like apart from the roads sanitation <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
what 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 have you enjoyed? And it's pretty much nothing. Like I I agree with Nigel. Like the fish eating's just been pretty dire. The Ronaldo penalty was just an absolutely abysmal. Like that is just like if someone watches that on the screen and goes, yeah, sound. It's like you shouldn't be doing that job, mate. You know you're doing the wrong job. There's no way it's a penalty. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been on in the background really for me. I've not been like I don't know. I've not been like just oh no yeah this matches on today like I watched the Uruguay game because Nunes was playing and like I knew Canate was starting for France so I watched that and I was kind of like watching it a bit with a bit more I don't know I was actually watching the game rather than just like watching YouTube watching the <laughs> podcasts or listening to podcasts and then watching that I was actually watching the game so I've not been I've not been in as much in tune with this one because um, like you said all the stuff that's that they mentioned that I want like the horrific stuff that's gone on and. Um, I don't know. It's just not been like the way it's not in the summer as well. It's in the winter. It's 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 probably good coming a good time for Liverpool because we ne- probably needed the break. But uh, it just doesn't seem like it's just properly out of sync. It should be a summer thing. It should be. It shouldn't. All those things that you've mentioned shouldn't ever ever happen in order for the World Cup to go ahead. Like the yeah, the financial stuff that has probably happened for it to be. In place, and I think like if this would have happened, like I feel like if it would have happened like 20, 25 years ago, and it, like we wouldn't have happened, like it would have if it would have got if it was like properly they got if Qatar would have won it in a, in a way that was um, legitimate. I still think like someone would like well we can't we can't send our teams and fans over to the to this type of place, and I think it would probably be overturned. But the way footy's going, like we're mentioning, like Liverpool's owners, are we going to get someone in who's corrupt and moral? fucking everything and then people there's people that want that because they want to compete and it's like you've got yeah i guess fight fighting fire with fire but you've got to have some morality to kind of um let yourself compete with everyone else but yeah <clears throat> um yeah i mean i think there's, there's 25 days to liverpool are back not that i'm counting the days but there's 25 days to liverpool play man city so silver linings <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yes, I absolutely counting the days. Yes, twenty five days as we're recording this. Bring it all back. Yes, the the real footy. Um, have you been engaging with it, uh, Dylan? Have you been? You know, are you an England fan, for example? Yeah, I'm England fan. I've got a bit of Welsh in me, Owen. So, um, but yeah, I'm born in England. Um, it's a funny one. I think when it first um went to Qatar, obviously to have it in the winter is strange. But I think this whole thing about the the one love armband and everything else. I mean, you know, captains getting a yellow card. I mean, they obviously it's hard for them to sort of get involved politically because they want to make a statement and we should be making a statement. But then for FIFA to come out and say they're going to get a yellow card, and then they've they've got the decision of Qatar when basically it's illegal to be homosexual and it's kind of absolute madness when you're trying to have a, a global event when you're restricting sexuality which is which is so big in in our country and so much we promote it and we're, we're trying to get equality of people together and i think football is that it's not just about the world cup but you know football is about bringing countries together and i think olympic games is the same and i think you can't be in a situation and i'm sure there's lots of backhanders that went through um i know a little bit about the england world cup um big uh, one of the team members Dan has actually told me a lot about that and um it, they thought they had it in the bag and clearly it was a shock to everybody but I just think it's madness we've agreed for it to be in the winter we've agreed for a country who clearly as you said Owen have had the stadiums there's been deaths there because they just don't really have any consideration for the workers and I think all that is tarred so then you get the offic- officials not <laughs> 
doing as Nigel said, then it, it yeah, it becomes tricky. And I've got two young kids who it's like in their first World Cup that they're really getting into, I guess. So they're quite excited. So I've got to try and get excited with it. And I think what topped it off for me is watching England the other night and that was just like watching a like a division two game. It was appalling. I mean England, man. I mean just, just depressing. That that for me was like I'd rather go and watch another team now <laughs> one of the you know ecuador or something come flying through but england just you know we always have those dreams being you know obviously you're, you're welsh showing but making uh make make and you're irish aren't you nigel yeah so <laughs> you have different dreams i guess in different different realities but yeah but being <laughs> english being english we think we're going to win the world cup and clearly it's crazy over inflated you know from the outside dylan from the outside it's always been ridiculous. My friend David sent a funny message the other day. He said, all the British teams um, and Ireland, he's Irish, David. He said they, they, they should all give up tournament football because you don't see the Brazilians playing rugby. And it's, a, it's a, you know, it's an interesting point because England have always been rubbish. I agree. Maybe football is coming home in that it is going back to Brazil again at the end of this World Cup. Um, like Gareth Southgate, I counted. Uh, I spent a long time going through all of the results. I think back to like, I don't know, 2019. The last 50, about 52, I think, international games with Gareth Southgate in charge of England. You've had six good results in 52 matches. The rest have either been obvious wins against the likes of Iceland or draws or losses and the style of play is awful because it's Gareth Southgate and he doesn't know how to like coach the amazing attacking talent that England have and they you do have amazing talent but uh yeah I don't know it's from the outside Nigel what do you think I mean it's 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 Nigel, what do you reckon? I mean, it's definitely not going, you know, I'm not going to say going home to England, but I mean, you know, going to be lent to England, is it? Definitely not. It's always, <laughs> there's always, this seems to be this kind of, I suppose I could use the word superiority complex about it or something like that. Like, we played in our first major tournament in 1988, and who did we get in the first game? England. Oh, lads, oh, Aaron, they're going to get slaughtered and stuff like this. We won 1-0. England played the three group games. We played against uh, the Soviet Union at the time. We drew one all. We were very unlucky. It's something like it was probably some of the best football we played. Ronnie Whelan scored that great goal. We went out. We went out against the Dutch, who eventually won the competition. We're a really good Dutch team: Hullet, Van Basten, Rijkaard, Koeman, all those guys. We got beat by a fluke. The ball, Lim Keith hit the ground and it bounced at a right angle. But we gave them a damn good game. Paul McGrath was outstanding that day. I remember. But if England would just go out. <sighs> Get a manager who's not going to, like like Steve McLaren you had. Venables played decent football, but there was still the superiority complex. You've got to go out and be able to, and, 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 and um, not think that you're going to win. Go out and win, and then say, now we won. It's a, it's a bit, the Liverpool attitude. The scouser attitude is is a bit is that way you know what i mean there's not there's not a superiority but a lot of the that's what i picked up from a lot of the england stuff you know they're kind of a superiority complex the welsh don't have that the scots don't have it scousers don't have it interesting how would you respond to them yeah i'd say um you know i'm getting a bit older now but thinking about the actual the game games i've watched yeah we always think that we're better than we are without a doubt we, we can and i went to the euro england italy final i was lucky enough to get a ticket and that was, I wish I'd, I wish I'd gone, to be honest with you, because 
we'd all, I'd, I was in the pub at one o'clock thinking we'd already won it <laughs> because everybody else in the pub was already there. And obviously, you think about Gareth Southgate, quite an easy road in, quite an easy road into the World Cup last time. Anything, any team that's half decent, they find them out straight away. And we might as well just accept that we might get to the quarterfinals if we're lucky. And, you know, if we win it, great, I'll accept that. But it's also a funny World Cup to win. It's been like when Liverpool won the league without the fans, you know. It's kind of, it's good to have it, but it sometimes feels that all the crap going on with Qatar, the winter thing, you know, I'm not saying you want to go and win it in Brazil or you want to go and win it in France or something, something different, but to win it in Qatar after all the shit, you think, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure we'd be delighted, Mick, if, it, if we do win it, but I, I just don't know if it's... It's a strange thing, and I think you were saying earlier on, though, and it's just a funny, funny World Cup. But I, I do think being English, we are definitely, um, we do think we're better than we are. And I think that's just the English attitude in general. Hopefully, I'm, I'm a bit different, but I do feel that, you know, we're, 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 we want to go and be heroes before we've been a hero. It's uh, It reminds me of Everton, I'm terribly sorry to say. Uh, but, uh, you know, like Everton, you know, spend a billion or whatever, and they're uh, right, right. Well, this is us this year. That you know, the, the tables have finally turned. They say in August, uh, and then by September, they they're calling for the manager's head. They're booing their own players, and it's all a big disappointment because your expectations are too high. I mean, you know, the the run to the, to the Euro final I've got in front of me, England. Um, good result against Croatia. They beat Croatia. Uh, then they drew with Scotland. They edged past the Czech Republic 1-0. Boring as hell. Then they beat Germany. Very good result. Well done. 2-1. So there you go. I'll give you that one. Very good result. But then Ukraine and Denmark, you would expect England to at least be competitive in those matches. They took extra time to beat Denmark. And then, of course, lost on penalties in the final to Italy and it's like I don't know the whole lauding of of managers and players um you know when they're English when they do anything half decent gets exaggerated and blown up into this into this extraordinary thing which leads to players like Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice being valued over a hundred million. Nigel you wanted to come back just for a second um England in the, the Euro finals against Italy, started really well, really, really well. Scored a brilliant goal, really, really fine goal, and then sat back. What was that? Tried to play Italy at their own game, invited them back into the game, and Italy just slowly worked their way in. It was it was fucking depressing. That's what it was. Yeah, sat exactly. Watching it. Yeah. And exactly. Going Grealish or just bring on, you know, just just attack, and they could just see that they were just just Italy started bossing it, and you're thinking. As a good manager, whoever that would be, someone like a Klopp or a Fergie or, or someone a Pep Guardiola, you know, you're looking at, they would have the experience and knowledge to be able to go and switch it. I think Southgate, you know, nice guy, good politician, all the rest of it. But I have to be honest with you, I've never enjoyed watching England under Southgate at all. It's like so frustrating. You want to go and, I think everybody wants to be a manager for England anyway, but I think most of us probably could manage that tactical play when it gets gets a problem and that is why we won't win the world cup it's badness isn't it i mean as fans we do we do have the tendency to think well i wouldn't do that so you, so you disagree with we disagree with managers decisions all the time but um you know southgate is like unanimous you know like what are you doing man mick you've been patiently waiting there what are your thoughts on all of this talk about england talk about your favorites for the world cup who, who do you enjoy watching anything you like where do you want to go with it uh brazil probably when won't they like i know <sighs> I just I've just felt disconnected from from England for 
when I spoke to Dylan like the other week, like just talking about the single and stuff, and I was just I was like thinking about like how I feel about England, and I was just like when I was like probably eight or nine, like I did because I felt like I was. I don't know, you just kind of, and like like Dylan, you mentioned with your kids and stuff, like when it's like when you're young, you're like really involved. Like I remember like Southgate missing the pen for England. Um, was that 96, was it? So I was only like seven. I, rem- I remember like, I think I was nearly crying because I was like, oh my God, this is like fucking horrendous. But like as you get older, and especially the England team, like the way it is at the minute, like Trent not playing, Henderson coming off on off the bench. There's no... I think like when we had like Owen and Gerard and Heskey and all that in there, I was like, I want them to do well as well. So like when we beat Germany five one and it was all Liverpool players that scored, I was like, yeah, that's that's a little a little nod to Liverpool. Like we we all the all the players that scored there from from our club, so that's nice. But I think as you get older, I've just kind of not been bothered at all really. Like if if Trent wouldn't have got picked, I would have been happy. I would have been like, well, sound because he's not going to play anyway. We all knew we weren't going to play, and it's that came true. Like that was a trip here. Even when like I watched I watched the America game and it's like like just just make a decision that's gonna actually influence the game in a in a way that we need to like it's just like proper bog standard footy just throw Trent on like I, I watched it with this one of my mate, best mates as a City fan and fucking Phil Foden sat on the bench and it's like he's one of the best players we've got and the fact that he's not starting I don't know if he's fully fit or whatever but. Like it makes a mountain of good player, but Phil Foden's like we mentioned generational talent like Bellingham. I think Phil Foden's one of them. I think he is that good. And to not start him and to not start Trent, I just think is and at least not at least bring them on towards the end so they can have a positive impact in the game. But yeah, it's I'm watching it and I'm not like even if I mean if Trent scored or Henderson scored, I might be like, Oh nice, but I wouldn't be like jumping out my seats. I'd just be like, Oh, they've scored, whatever. It's just kind of like a real disconnect there for me. So yeah, I, I don't. I, I, to be honest, I don't care who wins it. But you look at the likes of France and um, Brazil. I think they're the two two main ones that stick out just because the quality they've got on the field and on the bench as well. Okay, Dylan, you wanted to come in? No, I was just saying. I'm trying to think of the game. It was well, not really a couple of games. Trent came on as a sub. I don't know, sixty minutes or, or whatever. And he, what impact player? I mean, obviously, some of his defending. Without a doubt, can we question or what? I think we said the other day, Mick went to the Spurs game and, you know, I was there and he did dive in a bit. And I think against really good opposition, you could get a little bit found out there, but he's got the protection around him by a good, great defender like Harry Maguire. Um, <laughs> then, uh, you know, but I think bringing him on, that game needed someone to open up the pass and switch the play. And, you know, how he wouldn't, how he brings on Rashford and, and, and saying that Phil Foden can't play in the middle, well, change the <laughs> formation. <laughs> It's laughable. I'm so sorry to chuckle at the, at, at, uh, the incompetence, but it is laughable. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, in reality, in reality, without getting too England-centric, France on the bench uh, yesterday, they had uh, Pavard, among others, Pavard, Yusuf Fofana, um, William Saliba, Kingsley Coman, Ibrahima Konate, Eduardo Camavinga and Marcus Turam, and... Um, that's just terrifying if you're a supporter of any, any other nation because that's uh, that's a hell of a bench they've got. And then on the pitch, you've got Griezmann, who's just been uh, the playmaker uh, of the tournament so far. Um, they've got weaknesses, France. They they might come undone, uh, not least because, you know, Deschamps picked Varane instead of Konate. What are you doing, man? Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and insists on, on Rabio ahead of Camavinga, for example. But 
they're ahead of a team. So I think they're they're my favourites for the tournament. But again, a tournament that cannot be fully enjoyed. Um, anyway, I want to thank you very much, everybody. We can we can talk for hours, uh, but unfortunately, life. Um, well, I say unfortunately, fortunately, I suppose life is 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 full of um, you know um, layers and opportunities and infinite possibility. Um, including what I'm going to have for lunch, and I'm getting a bit hungry now. Uh, so I'm going to think about that. Um, but thank you very much to Nigel. Really appreciate uh, you being here. Thank you so much to Nick from the Copite podcast. How can people uh, get hold of the Cop- Copite? I mean, you know, the, a mad thing called Google search. Yeah, just type in the Cop. If you type in the Copite <laughs> podcast, you'll find it. YouTube channel. Um, I mean, we're not we're probably going to take a little bit of a backward step from the YouTube stuff um, and just kind of focus on audio. We started back in 2018 just doing audio stuff and then we kind of migrated into... Sorry, Nigel, did you want to... No, 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 no. Go ahead, just finish up there, Mick. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're doing audio like 2018 to 2020 and then we were like, let's should we do some YouTube stuff. But I just feel like it's very, it's very oversaturated, the YouTube stuff. There's just so many people doing it and I just feel like audio is... I just love audio. Like, I just... I just think uh, you can you can be anywhere. You can just be sat on the couch with your feet up. As long as you've got a mic and a laptop or whatever, you can just have a chat about the footy and just put it out and people can have a listen if they want to. Thankfully, a lot of people do listen to our stuff. But yeah, we've done a few interviews with, yeah, one with Dylan recently. I had a chat with Neil Meller a couple of weeks ago. That was interesting. Um, yeah, doing a few shows like Player Profiles and um, still do one called Famous Fans where I get like famous Liverpool fans on. So we've had like Paul Smith, the boxer, and Alex Horn from Taskmaster and Simon Rimmer, the chef and stuff, to, on to have a chat. So they'll be coming in um, as well, thick and fast over January and stuff. So that's something to look forward to. And yeah, if you just search the Copy Podcast, um, Spotify, yeah, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, unfortunately, uh, everything. The Copy Podcast, it'll be there. Have, have a look if you fancy it. Great stuff. Yes, do check it out, listeners. Make sure you're checking out uh, excellent stuff. Nigel, you wanted to come in? Yeah, I just want to say, just before, I want to leave the last word to Dylan and his new single, and just good luck with the single, Dylan. Yeah. No, thanks a million, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, it's, it's one of those songs which, obviously, with the, the football and everything else is great. But, yeah, it's exciting. And there's going to be a big tour next year. We, we, we mentioned that live. Um, everybody keeps asking, but I've got so many of these things and sort of a lot of sort of reactive TV stuff. So we're kind of giving ourselves a little bit of a time just to sort of do what we've got to do for the single. And I think next year the album will be out. It's called Expected to Fly, sort of March, April time. Um, same sort of vibe, lots of three, three and a half minute, really good m- melodic pop songs. And um, yeah, no, excited. So Dylan James LDN is most of the, uh, the links. And I think it's Dylan James FC on Twitter. Um, my manager decided to put that one in there. Um, yeah, just so Dylan James, Boys Yard, share it, follow it, do what you can with it. Um, it's a great song for when you dream of being a dreamer until the reality of life, Mick, as you said, kicks in when you're a bit older and those dreams. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm still, you know, there's still that that point. I mean, like, I watch Liverpool games from France, but I'm still expecting a text message from Jürgen saying, <laughs> you know, we've got an injury crisis in goal. I mean, you know. I haven't played since 1999, but you know, I, 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 I heard about your legend on the island of Jersey. And are you ready for the weekend? I don't know. Um, what were you doing? Just, yeah, just finally, just finally, I can't let this pass without 
uh, paying tribute to the late David Johnston, David, yes. David Johnston, the doc. Good call. Um, the doc. I, can't, I, I can't let this go. Um, he was a great player. Won league titles, won the European Cups, uh, scored a lot of goals and was a very popular man within the club. Um, met him uh, at a book signing, Terry McDermott's book signing a few years ago. He was just coming out of meeting Terry Mack and Kevin Keegan outside Liverpool won and uh, signed the book for me as well. A really nice guy. Um, just very sad uh, at 71 years old. Um, just RIP David Johnson. Yeah, great call. Um I've got his record in front of me from lfchistory.net. Absolutely. Yeah. David Johnson, RIP, condolences to his family. And, uh, you know, he played for Everton, Ipswich, uh, Man City, Barnsley, Tulsa Roughnecks, which is an interesting one, Preston North End, Barrow, and the Naxar Lions, as well as Liverpool in his career. Uh, his debut goal for Liverpool was on the 28th of August 1976. And his last goal, was the 19th of January 1982. Um, so, you know, he was with us for, for six years. Um, in that time, he, he won the League Championship uh, four times, the League Cup once, the European Cup twice, and the European Super Cup once. So, RIP, what a legend. If it weren't for Ian Rush, he would have had a lot more appearances and a lot more goals. Uh, but he was a very dangerous striker, classic number nine, wonderful, wonderful player. And yeah, we wish him all the best. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, you'll never walk alone. You are cherished, whoever you are, wherever you are, across this beautiful planet. And yeah, take care. Speak soon.